All right, good morning, everyone. It's nice to see some people back. Matthew, bearded. <laughs> bearded wonder. Right. Okay, it's been lovely worshipping, hasn't it? This is really, is it, is it all right? I'll leave you to it's been lovely worshipping, and we're going to share communion. And all we're to, what we're really going to do in communion is to physically worship, really, and remember, we've been talking about the power of Jesus, haven't we? The power of Jesus. And what we're going to do is celebrate, in this very simple meal, the power of Jesus. Now, you'll note that I have no slides. I apologize for that. So you're going to have to read it in a You have to listen or find in your Bible Matthew 26. And uh, whilst we're doing that, I'll, I'll start. Matthew 26, verse 17. There was a, a buzz in the air. Okay? Roads were busy. Shops were busy. Houses were cleaned. Food prepared. Children excitable, getting ready. Could have been a wed- the wedding yesterday, couldn't it? Sort of people preparing for, for a wedding and a household. It's uh, not that. Could have been a big football game, probably not. The World Cup. Christmas, that would be a little, you know, roads are busy, people preparing. It's not Christmas. We're going to read about the event, the Passover. And there was in Israel at the time, we're going to read. There would have been a real buzz, a buzz of anticipation of the people of God then meeting together. Chapter 26, Matthew 26, verse 17. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. Just stop there. Reclining, we think of reclining as laid back, don't we? Kind of casual. Reclining was a technical term. And the, uh, the Jews sat they, it was slightly to the left. When they took the Passover, they, sat, they were upright. And they weren't reclining as we think of it, but they were reclining to the left. And this was to mark the fact that they were free, that they were not slaves, that they could choose how they sat. And so they reclined. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, <clears throat> Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. Now this was utterly revolutionary. The Passover was the following day. And Jesus um, instigates the, the, the Passover meal, the Last Supper. Oh, well done, crumbs. That's impressive. <laughs> I'm reading from here. Jesus initiates it the day before. This was utterly 
revolutionary for the disciples. Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant or the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. A covenant is a legal promise. Okay, with a little legal training, legal training I've had, a covenant requires you to pay for something. Sorry, a, a contract requires you to pay for something. A covenant is a legally binding promise. A one, completely one-sided promise. This is a completely one-sided promise by Jesus. This is the blood of the covenant, the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they'd sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. What we're doing is symbolic. Okay, We're not going to eat Jesus' body and drink his blood. What the Jews did in the Passover was symbolic, remembering coming out of Egypt. And we live in a world where there are lots of symbols of things. There are uh, poppies and cancer relief. People wear pink for cancer relief, don't they? Many ladies particularly wear, wear a cross. And at the other end of the spectrum, and I haven't got there yet, there are emojis. People live by symbols, and I refuse to do that. <laughs> and in the middle, there are a whole load of actions, like hugging, handshake, maybe a salute, birthday candles, that are all symbolic of something bigger, because symbols mean something bigger. So communion is a symbolic action. So where does communion sit, or breaking of bread? Where does it sit in the scale of symbolic actions. I want to demonstrate what I believe to be the case by looking at a number of, of diff five different meals that will bring out some of the truths of breaking of bread. And the first will be a wedding breakfast, uh, like yesterday. Yesterday's was unusual in that uh, it's the first wedding I've been to where there's been curry as for the meal at a wedding. Um, but what are the features? I'll bring out two features. The firstly, firstly, there's an invitation to a wedding. Um, Lindsay had an invite recently. She doesn't know it because I threw it away. And uh, um, from a, a <laughs> from from a you wouldn't from a, a finance company. It was a nice gilt-edged gilt invitation to come and listen to them sell like mad to her, and I took quite a lot of pleasure in just ripping it up, because I did not, I, wouldn't, I didn't want it for me either, I did not want this invitation. Probably a day or so later, another invitation came through the post, it was to a wedding, um, and yeah, that's, that's special, and special invitations in our house, they go on the fridge under a fridge magnet, I don't know why, they just do, and it means you see them when you walk past the fridge, it means you remember them but they're important, they're good to look at because you've been invited to something. This morning, you are invited to communion. You're invited by Jesus. It isn't random, it isn't roll up, turn up and take part. There's an invitation to you. Some of us don't get many invites to things um, and may have very, very few invites, but there is a personal invitation this morning. This meal is a personal invitation to you from the risen Lord Jesus, to celebrate him. 
And the celebrating is the other bit about a wedding. A wedding celebrates, don't, you know, it's a joyful occasion. And we're celebrating today, we celebrate communion at breaking of bread. We celebrate forgiveness. Okay, the Passover celebrated the Israelites coming out of Egypt, across the Red Sea and the waters parting. And in the New Testament, there's this sort of principle of how much more the New Testament is greater and bigger than what happened in the Old Testament. And we, we read Matthew 26, 28. Jesus said, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. If you're a Christian this morning, you've been forgiven. Okay? As far as the east is from the west, so, which is a long way, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In fact, if it's a straight line, you can't join them up. It just goes on and on. Psalm 103, verse 12, that is. You're forgiven. You're forgiven for your sin. Okay? You can't do anything about it, but you have been forgiven at the cross by Jesus. And we remember that at the breaking of bread. A celebration is exciting. Yesterday there was a lot of excitement, a lot of clapping, whooping for Tim and Eleanor, quite, quite appropriately. We should be excited. We, we can be excited this morning about coming to God's table. I don't mean jumping up and down, but <clears throat> we can be emotional. Now, people are like, I'm not great with emotion. Uh, many guys are not. Um, but we can, in our hearts, you know, let, we, let's be excited at the prospect of sharing God's meal, sharing Jesus' meal. So we can be joyful and solemn at the, time, at the same time. It's a serious thing. So there's a solemnity about it. But we can be joyful at the same time. Um, we can be really happy and dignified and respectful. So we should be excited because uh, we've been invited to a celebration, a celebration of our personal forgiveness in Jesus. So that's one meal. That's a wedding reception. The second meal, <clears throat> I don't know whether anyone's been there. There's a restaurant called Araki in central London, and it only has one, uh, one menu. It has a set meal, and it's £300 per person. Uh, there are two sittings. You know, most restaurants, it says at the bottom, if you have special dietary requirements, please let us know in advance. This, their, their website says, we do not deal with special dietary requirements. <laughs> we do not provide for special dietary requirements. 300 pounds a head. So I thought, oh, let's have a look, see what else you can find. Um, in Ibiza, there is a restaurant which is 2,500 pounds for the set meal. 2,500 pounds. So you think, <clears throat> you think that's expensive? This is expensive. Okay, this is seriously expensive. What did it cost? What did this meal? And um, Adam and I, Adam asked me yesterday, are you sourcing this out? And I said, no, I didn't realize I was supposed to. And uh, it didn't cost a lot to put, you know, in financial terms, to put bread on a table and juice or, or wine. But what did it really cost? What did it cost for that to happen? God came down in human form in Jesus, not randomly, but deliberately and purposefully in order that we can be forgiven at the cross. If you saw the film The Passion of the Christ, uh, which I went to the cinema to see, it was horrific, awful, wasn't it? But that was only the physical side. And the emotional side 
for Jesus was, was far, far, far greater. I want to, I want to read, you have to catch up here. Um, Max, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I think Matt, but um, Matthew 27, 45 to 53, which just describes these circumstances. <clears throat> From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Lindsay's picture here is a picture of Jesus being forsaken by God. When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. He, immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain was 60 foot wide, 30 foot high. So probably about as wide as this hole, maybe not quite as wide, certainly higher. And the writers at the time, not scripture, says it was four inches thick. The curtain was four inches thick. The, this curtain was ripped from top to bottom. It opened up the way. Previously, the Israelites, God's relationship was a one with the nation. And the people could not enter the presence of God. That ripping of the curtain commenced the point at which people would relate to God via Jesus personally. Not only uh, did, that, did that happen... Uh, the earth couldn't cope with it because it, Scripture talks about um, the rock, the, the tombs, the earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the, people, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. The earth couldn't cope with Jesus', uh, Jesus death. It was enormous. So this is the most, we celebrate here, the most expensive gift that has ever been given and that ever will be given. Okay, and we're invited to celebrate it. That's two meals, so a wedding uh, and a really expensive meal. The third one is a, uh, a spa, a detox. I have no experience of such a thing. So, some of you will have here, but my image is of a, this will horrify Adam, of a, of a big plate, but with a lettuce leaf and a bit of beetroot and <laughs> just sort of uh, shaped in such a way it looks like there's some substance, but actually there isn't. And it's, a, it's meant to do you good, apparently. <laughs> Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And obedience brings blessing. But there's more to, the, more to it than that. I've said we don't eat Jesus' body and drink his blood. But there is a sense when we, when we celebrate breaking of bread that we're caught up in uh, a heavenly perspective. We're ac acutely aware of his love for us. The disciples on the Emmaus Road, um, when Jesus left them, they said to each other, we were, um, were our hearts burned within us by being in his presence. When we break bread, we are in his presence. And we should be, our hearts should be warmed by just simple taking on of truth, sitting and taking on of truth, being aware of truth. We went to the Lake District at half term, 
and uh, we climbed up with Rebecca and her family, Stickle Tarn, which isn't very high, but it's 1,500 feet, and it was just a beautiful day. And we got there first because they were climbing up the river, not up the path, and we had 15 minutes or so just of sitting in this beautiful sunshine, wasn't it? The, no roads in sight. It was just beautiful, and we lingered there. And we're called really to linger in his presence, not to rush in and grab it and go, but to linger in the presence of Jesus and just to dwell on him. And that will do us a lot more good than going to a spa for a detox. So as we break bread, allow your hearts and spirits to be refreshed in him. That's a spa detox. A fourth meal, uh, a child's birthday party. Okay, uh, Karis, our granddaughter, had her fifth birthday party a couple, a couple of weeks ago. And the sort of things you say, um, my, haven't you grown? To a, to, and Lindsay's dad says, always says, many happy returns, which is a quite a formal thing to say. But what it means is, may there be many more like this. May there be many more birthdays like this. And for a child like Karis, your fifth birthday is of earth-shattering importance. Um, but one day, you'll, they'll look back and think, yeah, it was good. You know, I had a lovely time. But in the big scheme of things, it was just a nice memory. What we do here genuinely has earth-shattering import- is of earth-shattering importance that the earth shattered in places when Jesus died. This is of, of serious importance. And it's a looking back and a looking forward. The Passover, look back to Egypt and look forward to a Messiah. They didn't know what the Messiah, who the Messiah would be and what, in what form he would come. This meal looks back to Jesus' death. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It looks forward to his return, to a new heaven and earth and to another wedding that will take place and to another meal. And that meal will be really something special. In Revelation 19, verse 19, we read about the church becoming the bride of Christ and a wedding, a wedding meal. And none of us got invited to Harry and Meghan's wedding. It would be interesting to see what the menu was there. But that will be nothing compared to the meal that we will enjoy and celebrate when Jesus returns. And I did reflect on this a bit. Um, and, I, and, I, and I thought to myself, um, Paul, you like football. You like football crowds. I like the noise of a football crowd. Lindsay likes art. Okay, Rachel likes baking. Well, Herman is keep fit. I was thinking Catherine likes classical music. They're just all different things. And I thought to myself, just you ought to say that no one is going to be disappointed in heaven. We're all different here. And I, you know, I think, oh, if heaven was just classical music the whole time, I'm going to find that hard work. But, <laughs> and I'm sure Catherine would say being stuck in a football crowd the whole time is going to be hard work. Um, none of us are going to be disappointed in heaven. Isn't that great? Isn't that really, 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 really great? I want to read, I've been looking at a book by uh, Tom Wright. He's a well-known uh, writer, and he wrote a little book called The Meal That Jesus gave us, which I read um, a, few, uh, a few times, and it's really, really, some really helpful insights. 
I'd like to find out where his quote. He says, Jesus stood in the middle of history with arms outstretched to past and future and held them together, though it killed him. When we stand at the foot of the cross, when we feast at the table that recalls his final supper, and when we share at the altar the feast that results from his one and only sacrifice, he is present, feeding us with himself. So we are, you know, we are fed, but at this meal we celebrate Jesus standing there with arms going back, standing there in the present, with arms going back to the cross and forward to the second coming. That is really significant. It's looking back and looking forward, isn't it? Right, the last one. Uh, this is a pasta meal before a cyclist uh, you know, races or a marathon runner runs. So John, John is doing the... Where's John Bowen? You, you'll run in a couple of weeks, so there'll be some pasta eaten the night before. And I'm, I was, I'm intrigued. I like sport, as I've just said. Um, that About two weeks ago, uh, Chris Froome, who is just about British, um, he's technically British, um, but he's a great cyclist, and he won a stage of a race. Uh, and normally, they win by a lot. Two or three minutes, it will be a, an awful lot to win by. And he won this stage by 33 minutes against the guy who was second. And he wasn't cheating or anything like that, wasn't on drugs. Uh, and Sky, they produced a program about it and how Sky had, the Sky team, had worked out how much energy he needed to get into him at different points and how on earth they were going to get people by the side of the road to give him a bottle of water or whatever it was to get energy into him. It was really, really interesting. But the point of it is... Uh, it's preparation. The, the, the meal before a cyclist races or a runner is preparation. And this meal does not just sit in isolation, just not something we just do and go, but it prepares us for living in the world that we live in. 1 Corinthians 11.26 refers to us proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And the act of breaking bread is in, in one sense, or in one, in, um, one way, it is, it is a proclamation this morning to the heavenly realms that Jesus is Lord. So it speaks very, very loudly into the unseen world that Jesus, this company of people believe that Jesus is Lord. And inside, that's the sort of macro scale, on entirely the opposite scale, on a micro scale, on a personal scale, we are being refueled to go out into the world and live for him. Okay, so, so this meal that we celebrate to, today should make a difference into how we think and how we speak and what we do tomorrow. So we're bit, we are prepared to go out into the world. So this meal is so simple, but it is utterly profound. And it does a whole series of things. So it is an there's an invitation, there's a celebration there. It is seriously expensive. It changes us. It does us good when we obey the Lord's command. Um, it looks back and it looks forward and then it looks out. And I hope this morning, I hope we're kind of, we're just, we are inspired, excited about the prospect. It's something we do reasonably regularly 
And there's a, what, we, what we try to do is not be familiar with it and not do it the same way every time, to be, do it differently. And, and that, that, can be a uh, that can be a bit of a challenge. But I'd, lo I'd love us to be, I'm, I'm going to pray, I'd love us to be inspired about receiving breaking bread together this morning. But before that, I wonder, there might be, I wonder if there's anyone here who you think, I, 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 actually, I begin to get it. I realize now that Jesus did die for me, that this is not just a sort of a, an event that you're told to get, you have to go through, but it has real meaning to it. And I, I identify with the fact that I am, I've done wrong, you know, I've, I've fallen short of God's standards, and I'd like to be forgiven, and I'd like to have a second chance in Jesus, with Jesus this morning. I'd like to, to live for him. So I'm going I'm to pray, and if that's you, I'd like you to pray, pray in your heart, in your own, with, your own, with your own words, but respond. This, I said it's an invitation. So this is an invitation right now to anyone who is not a Christian. So right this minute, actually, you're not invited. If you're not a Christian, you're not invited to take part. You're invited to watch and observe. But if you think, wow, this has profound meaning in my life and I want to change let's close our eyes and I'm going to pray Lord Jesus I acknowledge this morning my need for you my need to be forgiven my need to have a saviour and my need for eternal life in heaven with you and I ask that you would forgive me that you would cleanse me, that you will fill me with your Holy Spirit, and that you will take me on a path, walk with me, as I seek to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. If that is you, firstly, you are really welcome. First, yeah, you are really welcome to take part in this meal. But secondly, if that is you, please will you make yourself known at the end to yourself or Adam uh, or Ian over there. Please make yourself known. So this meal is symbolic but it is, so I asked the question where does it sit in the parameter of symbols? This sits right at the top. Right at the very, very top. This is the most sy symbolic act that a human being can undertake actually to celebrate the death of the Lord Jesus. But it sits in the, I hope, Lizzie, are you right for seeing the creed? Yeah. Uh, it sits uh, in truth amongst other truths. And I thought we would sing, in an Anglican church, they will say the creed, um, which is a statement of truth. Well, we're not going to say it, we're going to sing it. Okay, before we break bread. And it, so, breaking of bread sits as truth amongst, you know, in, in, amongst other truths. So hopefully we've found the words at the back. If you'd like to stand, and we're going to sing the creed.
So, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks. And I've asked Gareth to say thank you for the bread. So, hold it. Father, forgive you thanks and we eat the bread. Thank you. 
And similarly, after the meal, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks for the cup. Father, I just want to say thank you so much for what you did on the cross, for sending your son to bleed and die. And I pray that we never take the power of um, that blood for granted, but that we, um, as we take communion, we just come into your presence and dwell and just take it as a chance to say sorry and thank you and come into an even better relationship with you again, oh God.
We're going to bring the formal meeting to a close now, but I talked about dwelling in the presence of Jesus, and if you want to carry on doing that, well, I'd encourage you to carry on. The, uh, the band that is going to play uh, is behind, but please feel free to just dwell in the presence of Jesus a little longer. Otherwise, there'll be tea and coffee at the back, and um, if you responded to the prayer that I prayed, please come and make yourself known. That would be really great. Otherwise, bless you and have a good week. Thank you.